you want to bomb Hanoi. You realize I could have you court-martialed for even making the suggestion. That's right. You took a big risk. Yes, I did. <laughs> why do you want to do this? I think you know why. There's guys like Morgan. They're dying every day, every single day. Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 127, and today we're going to be talking about Flight of the Intruder. This great and fantastic film stars Brad Johnson, Danny Glover, William Defoe, and Tom Sizemore. I am your host, Steve. Steve. It's Willem Defoe. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my, <laughs> is my good and dear and anal compulsive person mark <laughs> thank you very much for just completely discombobulating me oh nice all right uh, destroying his confidence i know say nice soothing things mark oh, oh all right i mean william willem it's a i mean that's what they meant they they probably left an i off of his birth certificate and just said and you know what ian instead right right and they just said you know what go with it we don't have, you know, any whiteout. We can't do anything. They didn't have. It wasn't like back in the in those days. They didn't have a word processor that fixed it. So Are they you just. God. Went. Yes, I am. All right. Uh, I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my good and dear friend, Mark. Hey, you got room for a pizza and a six-pack slover? Hey, is the movie off for tonight? I got to point out a couple things. There ain't no skin worthwhile, and there's a huge irrelevant female lead. So, sir, we got to cancel this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good because man if there was a movie that had an irrelevant female role this one's probably up there in the top five. Oh, oh, oh holy cow uh and also joining us is our other good and dear friend ken hot dog roni hi <laughs> that's it <laughs> that's it that's a direct movie reference one of the key oh <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? That's that's just very well done. The way the way that whole scene uh, was laid out, and we'll talk about it later. Brilliant, Ken. Nice. Okay, folks. Our our other very good and dear friend, Jeff Tailhook Muncie, unfortunately can't join us tonight. Uh, the last time we heard from him, he was um, he was trapped in a crocodile pit in a uh, Philippine cat house in uh, Subic Bay, and uh, he's still trying to climb out of that right now. So. Don't know if he's going to be here next week. Uh, depends if he can move faster than a crocodile. Well, and since the um, the fence to keep the alligator in is at six feet, he's only five feet seven inches tall. He can't jump too high, so he's yeah. running around a lot. Yeah, but he is fast over short distances. Yeah, so the gator. Yeah, <laughs> crocodile. Oh, pardon me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The crocodile doesn't get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's some quotes in this one, folks. All right, folks, we're going to be talking about, like I said in the intro, the uh, Flight of the Intruder. This is, uh, for me, this is uh, a little bit of a personal slash guilty favorite. And I, I really don't like to say guilty favorite because I actually think it's a pretty decent movie, particularly the time that it came out. And 
the thing of it is, is that this movie came and went pretty quick and nobody really, I think, saw it that much. I, and I'm kind of surprised because even now, after 20-some-plus years later, yeah, you can see it's eh, there's some stuff in there that's a little iffy. But, I, I mean, I thought overall this movie holds up pretty decently uh, in terms of, you know, Vietnam movies, particularly ones where you have the uh, the air combat like this one was. This was kind of like the Top Gun over Vietnam, uh, if you will. And I don't know, guys. I I kind of liked it. It and I'll get more into, uh, you know, my feelings on it. But I just kind of want to open it up to uh, you know initial thoughts. See what you guys you know think about it. I don't know if this is a first viewing for you guys. I, I'm assuming it may not be. Uh, for me, this is something I've seen numerous times. As a matter of fact, I had on DVD forever, and God knows what the hell I did with it. It's like probably in some one of the freaking spiders probably carried it off for all I know. But, uh, again, initial thoughts, guys, I want to open up. So, Ken, let me throw it out to you. What do you think? Uh, point of parliamentary procedure. Sure. Can we have the intro? Oh, shit. Yeah, the intro to this. <laughs> you know, I, I always do that. I always forget. We work so hard on that, and then I just completely walk away and forget everything. And if it wasn't for guys like Mark uh, to keep me straight, God knows what this podcast would be like. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, folks, this is uh, the Man Cave movie review intro to this great and fantastic film. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown when you've got water. During the Vietnam War, a U.S. Navy A-6 intruder pilot schemes with his hardened veteran co-pilot to make an unauthorized airstrike on Hanoi. Oh, that was great. Do you think we should sign off with Roger or 10 or... You can say, huh, I'm out of here. <laughs> Just send me my check, my back's running. The light's so much brighter there. You can't forget all your troubles, forget all your cares. So go downtown. Things will be great when you're downtown. All right, guys, there you go. There's the intro. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> Well done. Yeah, we were yeah, we were literally putting that together at the last minute. It's one of those things when, you know, you're not paying attention to the clock. I'm like, holy shit, I got 15 minutes. So, but like I said, I want to talk about initial thoughts and want to throw out there to, uh, to Ken. What do you think? I went and saw this when it first came out. You said it came and went, and it did. But, you know, way back then, I remember some hot summer day. I was, had some time and money to kill, so I ducked into a theater and saw it. And I enjoyed it. Uh, the reason I went and saw it back then was that I had, you know, read the book. Uh, it's based on a Stephen Koontz book. I think Koontz was an aviator in Vietnam. Wrote a bunch of, uh, you know, military-based, you know, aviation-type, you know, techno-thriller type things. And this was his first book. Uh, I, I, I suspect it might be a little bit semi-biographical. I think he was, you know, sort of doing the same stuff that the characters in this movie were doing. Uh, anyways, the book was very good, you know, well-crafted, lots of characters, lots of action. The movie, uh, I will say it suffers a bit in comparison to the book, but then again, that happens all the time and that they just don't have time to put it all together. I suspect, uh, knowing that this is a John Milius movie and he's a you know, stickler for detail, I suspect that he filmed a whole lot of the book's scenes and characters and that a fair amount of it got chopped out by the studio and trying to, you know, make the movie shorter and quicker. 
that ha seems to be a curse for Milius and a lot of other directors and such because uh, studios sometimes don't recognize the value of letting the whole you know the whole story be said. They they want to keep it under a certain amount of time for sales purposes and all, which I understand. But nonetheless, this has a good cast. Has uh, again, Steve named the the top folks. It's also got a a, a bunch of folks that you've seen. Everyone from Bing Rames to, oh, shoot, what's his name from Friends? Uh, oh, uh, 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 shit, Schwimmer. David Schwimmer. David Schwimmer, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the, the great Fred Thompson. Oh, yes. And Tom, yeah. si and Tom Sizemore. Why well, mention And Tom Sizemore, yeah. yeah. I mean, this was back in that era. I mean, we saw it in The Hunt for Red October, which is another movie connected to Milius. There's a period back, like during the Reagan years, the you know, late '80s, early '90s, when whatever Hollywood needed somebody to play a male authority figure, they just picked up the phone and called Fred Thompson, and there he was. He got a lot of steady work. It, I mean, the story flows. Does have a has Patricia Arquette as the female interest? Is she irrelevant? Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean. Given they're chopping out all sorts of other stuff, they could have chopped her out. But I understand why they put her in. I think the, there's good interplay between the three main characters, Danny Glover, Defoe, and uh, Brad Johnson's characters. With that, I'll hand it over to uh, Mark. I, I also saw this in the theater because I had read the Kuntz book. And I, I, the book is very, very good. And you're right. I think he was an A6 driver. And... Probably a lot of this is semi-autobiographical, especially the good times in, in the Philippine Islands as well as running the missions. Um, and I'm, we're all big John Milius fans, and I think you've hit on it. This movie suffers from probably what the studio did to it. It's an interesting Vietnam War movie in that it does not portray any crazed or stupid people uh, there is an anti-war tone in the sense that these guys are highly trained professionals who are frustrated that they're bombing suspected truck parks and sampan uh, tie-ups that are that are BS targets late in the war because it takes place in 72. Uh, so it, it's not anti-war, but it's anti-war in the sense of if we're going to win, we're going to win, but if we're going to be stupid and get our friends killed, um, then... We're going to take matters into our own hands, and that kind of drives a main portion of this story. I, the movie suffers from, in my estimation, the problem of there's some editing and continuity issues. There's the completely, and it's, it's uh, I think it's Rosanna Arquette. It's Patricia's sister. Yeah. Um, that, that whole 15 minutes, 10 minutes could have been used more constructively and I think may have been as date bait, and it didn't work. Uh, and I, I will say, and I'll be curious to hear both of your points, uh, your positions on this, that it struggled also from some actors who either were not very good at their roles, or I will be polite and say wouldn't, and I really don't think Brad Johnson did a great job in this movie. And Tom Sizemore reminded me of a, a um, ferret on meth, uh, and then Danny Glover, who was doing a lot of angry acting in this movie. Um, and I like the actors, but I don't think they, some of them necessarily had either great material to work with or were very good for the role they were cast in. 
Uh, I, I will say the one thing I do love, and it's a hallmark of Milius movies, um, is you get a lot of war porn, and in this case, it's great aircraft. You get all sorts of aircraft, Sky Raiders and A6s and Corsairs and Jolly Green Giants. You get it all. You get some great naval aviation here. Uh, the, the special effects suffer, which I'm kind of surprised in 91. It's a lot of models that are very painful to watch as models um, in some scenes. But it's, I, it's one of those movies that the action scenes, the scenes on board ship, um, you enjoy, but it, it struggles as a, as a whole. The, the parts are better than the whole is what I would say about this movie. I gotta ditto that, and I, I also do have to agree with your take on the the actors. There's a lot of good actors in this movie, but you know some, you know, they they could they, they could have stood a little bit better delivery. And Brad Johnson is the lead. I, I think he's supposed to be the lead of the movie. He's the main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, he he's comes off fairly wooden and. Uh, but well, maybe that's what he's supposed to be. But you know, that it's it. I don't know. Somebody else, somebody different, might have done a little bit better job with the part. Well, and I have to agree with Mark. I I think he did come off kind of wooden. I mean, I liked this character. It, it was like there were there were times where he. I mean, he did kind of emote a little bit, and there you you saw some passion, but then he was a little bit more wooden. Uh, but I, I'll tell you what, Mark, you, you pretty much hit it with Sizemore. I, I was kind of like, was this during his, was this when he was really starting to experiment with Coke or something? Because he oh, just, oh my God. he just seemed off the wall. I'm like, they're putting this guy in a plane with bombs? Really? <laughs> Man, it just, he had a really, I don't know. It just, that, that part kind of, I, I mean, his role just was kind of weird. But I don't know, 91, I mean, did, I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, was Sizemore really a name yet? No. Okay. I, I didn't think so. This scene, and I think it was for some of these guys, because you know what, uh, Ken, you mentioned Bing Rames, and I totally forgot about him in this movie, and part of it is, folks, if you've never seen this movie, the only time you actually will recognize Bing Rames is when you hear him speak, because he has hair in this movie, and it completely throws you off, because all I remember from Bing Rames was from Pulp Fiction on, and the guy's, you know, his guy's got a cue ball, so when you see him in this, he's got hair. And it, and it throws you off. And at the time, nobody knew who this guy was. And I think he plays a pretty good role. Uh, he's in there for about uh, mid part of the movie, and then he's he's out. But, yeah, the acting, I don't know. I, I think the acting was lacking in this one a little bit. Uh, about the only one in here I thought that was really kind of pulling off a pretty good uh, performance was probably Defoe, Willem Defoe. Just and, you know, he kind of he kind of reminds me, he's kind of got a Christopher Walken feel about him. You know, that that's another one, Mark, that just really, I, I was going to say, that's I got the same kind of vibe. Not the, they could have cast Walken in that role. They could have. You know, they really could have. And, um, yeah, he, they really could have. That's a good point. <coughs> Excuse me, longer. I just had a. Big, uh, big cigar today. Uh, lighting it with the uh, the blowtorch that my wife bought me for my birthday, by the way. Very nice. She bought me a uh, well, c- cigar lighter. That. And, you know, Defoe, I think one of the reasons they cast Defoe in this movie 
is for box office draw because of a Vietnam movie because he had played such a great role in Sergeant Elias in Platoon mm -hmm. about five years earlier. Right, right. Yeah, and also Defoe was just getting tons of work back then. Right. Yeah, not that he's, he's still very busy now, but he was in a lot. Yeah, he I was... I have to say, I mean, Danny Glover did an okay job, but he was just playing the, the, the hard-ass commanding officer role, which... You know, if you see one, you see them all. It could have been a number of people playing that role, but he did okay in it. I mean, I thought he was fine. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I thought they, you know, I thought he did a, you know, a decent, decent performance in the role. Uh, but the one thing I do want to kind of mention is I, I've, I've always loved aircraft. I just like the look of it. Maybe this is why I like this movie is because I think the A6 is just one sexy looking freaking plane. It's just a sharp looking plane. It just looks cool. And that's, I mean, that's the biggest part of this movie that you see. I mean, Mark talked about, you see a bunch of other aircraft, but I mean, the A6, this is the one that is just like right there in your face. And I just love the look of that plane. I think I probably built like three different versions of, uh, of an A6, uh, uh, a model you know, over the course of my life. And now I'm, I, after watching this movie, I've been going on eBay trying to find another box <laughs> that I could put together. Cause, uh, I, I just think it's a cool looking plane. And, and the fact that it was, you know, completely, it had no defensive weapons at all. I mean, it was just pretty much a bomber. It just carried bombs and, you know, God help them if they got into a scrap because they couldn't really defend themselves other with, uh, countermeasures. So, it, I just think it was a it was a pretty neat looking plane, and it just seemed like this whole movie was kind of centered around that that particular aircraft. But um, anyway, those are my you know that's my little sidebar uh, view of and the movie. To your point, you know the the Navy went all out, and it was obvious they they gave them a carrier, they gave them the right. independence, they 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 just said here have everything, and from that perspective, the movie really works. From from the from the aircraft from the from from the naval side of it, the movie really works when you see things happening on the deck of the carrier. It's a it's it's great. Well, and I think Mark, that's actually a really good point to bring about this movie because you know none of this stuff is actually, or at least from what you can tell, and if it's done on a soundstage, got it look good. But I mean, this movie's filmed on a freaking aircraft carrier. And, uh, you know, maybe the scenes when they're in the cabin or in the wardroom and that, but when they're walking around and you see this, I mean, they're on an aircraft carrier. And it, it, it just, you really got the feel. You never got the feel that this was being shot in a studio room or that they were doing, um, like, movie clips. Or, I'm sorry, what the hell do they call that? Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? You know, like, uh, screenshots from other stuff and they're throwing uh, yeah. it. You know what I'm saying? It, you never got that feel in this movie. You just thought, wow, man, they're really taking off and doing this stuff. And like you said, the Navy, I think, really went out of their way in this one. And and, and we kind of talked about that when we did uh, the final countdown. God, whenever the hell that was. That was another one. It was just, you know, you know, Navy air porn. I mean, it was just, you know, what plane would you like us to take off next? <laughs> you know, it's like right. the guys are like lining up, so... And, and I, well, and I, I think it's fair to say that in, in, when you talk about you know Navy Airport, if you want to call it that, there's not that many movies that were coming out. I mean, if you go back to this time frame, you had we did the Final Countdown, 
that falls in this category. It was like 10 years earlier, and he had uh, Top Gun, and he had this. So if you're a guy like us looking for a movie like this, I mean, that's about it. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you have to go all the way back to stuff like The Bridge at Toko Ri and things like that. And that goes way back. Or Torah, Torah, Torah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you it really... It really wasn't a lot. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff was... I'm in. If I remember right, a lot of that you were looking at newsreel stuff, and and that's that was the term I was trying to bring back, you know, like newsreel right. footage and stuff like that. Whereas well, that's what that's what the movie Midway suffered from. You know, right. if you knew your aircraft, you're like, that's a Hellcat. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a Dauntless. Yeah. And, and those movies suffered from that. If you knew, if you were a if you were a plane geek, you you were pointing that stuff out. But here, um, and that's one of the strengths of this movie is if you like aircraft um this is a great aircraft movie especially for the intruder because it's not a it's it's not a sexy aircraft in the sense of it's not a a tomcat it's not a phantom it's a workhorse aircraft and i that's one of the things that drew me to this movie was it was a different take it wasn't the fighter jock movie right well, and you know they kind of play up that a little bit. Did you notice that scene when they're in the uh, in the uh, the cat house, and they've got that yeah. uh, they got that little rigging thing set up, and the guy that you know he tries to do it, and basically, folks, to set it up, uh, just so if you've never seen this, there's a scene when uh, you show this guy, and he's sitting like in this in this chair, and what they do is they go down this ramp, and he has to try to you know hook a line before he gets dumped out into like this big mud pond. And, you know, one guy does it, he misses the, you know, he misses the tail hook, and boom, he goes right into the mud pond. And that guy stands up, he goes, get a fighter pilot to do it, and I've got this quote. So you already see that there's this rivalry between fighter pilots and bomber pilots. Yeah, and that came back to bite the A6 drivers in the ass when the movie came out and died at the box office. Yeah, it did. And, and, Are you and gonna, You'll refer to that later? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's. It, I, yeah, they thought this was going to be Top Gun for bomber, naval bomber pilots, and didn't quite do it. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. and, and you know it's kind of sad because I thought this movie really was pretty good. I like I said, you know, it's got its drawbacks. I, I mean, even in '91, yeah, some of the model scenes, yeah, it, it, let's put it this way, it wasn't like 1950s model scenes or even 1970s, but. I mean, for that period of time, yeah, he might have been able to do a little bit better, but you no, know, I don't know. I'm not a special effects guy. Maybe that was the best they could do. I, you know, they didn't have a huge budget for this thing even at this time, and this thing really did not do well at the box office. And I, and here's my thing, and I think one of the reasons, it's just, a, and I don't want to say this is like a social commentary or whatever, but I think at this point, I almost wonder because was it because of the content of this movie because it was vietnam or was it because at this point had we been saturated with the vietnam movies i mean you had platoon and hamburger hill and a lot of the other stuff that was out there that i think people were getting just like beat over the head with vietnam because it was not a popular war there's that whole issue about, you know, when the guys came back, how they were treated. And it almost seemed like up to this point, this is maybe like the first movie that, not saying it was glorifying the war, but it was not treating these guys like they were killers or murderers or, you know, you know, druggies or, you know what I'm saying? It, well, no, you, you got a point. There was a bunch of 
Vietnam movies. The 80s saw a lot of Vietnam movies come out. Uh, some of them sort of low budget, and right. sort of came and went. Uh, some, you know, big ones. I mean, Apocalypse Now came out in 79, I think. You had right. Platoon, I think, in 86. Uh, you had, like, again, Hamburger Hill, Siege of Firebase Gloria, you know, uh, Bat, Bat 21. There's a, there's a bunch of them, and I think that, yeah, you can sort of say maybe it was a Vietnam movie fatigue a little bit brought this down. But, I mean, you got to judge it on what it is. I mean, this movie is not a perfect movie, uh, but it's not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie at all. I liked it. Well, I think the other thing that hurts this movie is that audiences had been trained with Top Gun that fighter jock movies were what you went to see. You know, you'd been trained with that with video games, with Top Gun, with Star Wars. And I, I wonder if that was also a part of what this movie suffered from, is this was not about fighter jocks. Well, and, I, I think it's fair to say not just Top Gun, but very few naval aviator movies feature bomber or torpedo pilots. They're usually fighter right. pilots. Right, right. And more, seen, seen as more glamorous. And maybe that, that that affected part of it. Yeah, and you're right. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was part of the effect, or you know. And I I just kind of wondered because, like I said, I do like this movie. I mean, it's got its shortcomings, and, and but at the time I remember seeing it because I'm. I mean, I saw this in the theater when it came out, and I I really enjoyed it, and I still enjoy it to this day. Yeah, does it does it have its shortcomings? Well, yeah. I mean, after you know, twenty plus years. Some movies don't hold up as well as others, but it is still, I think, a very worthwhile movie. You know, particularly the, you know, the storyline, the idea of you've got these two pilots that are just kind of getting fed up with the fact that, you know, we're losing guys left and right to weapons that we can't touch because some politician said, well, you can't bomb them. We can't go there. We can't bomb the North. Well, why not? They're killing us. Well, we can't. Well, I thought we were at war, but you can't bomb them up there. And these guys just say, screw it, we're going to do it anyway. And I, I like that whole concept because these are guys that have just, they've been fed up. And, I, and, and they kind of talk about that. And, and there's a scene, and it's, it's a long quote, and i got to remember if I even got it. Because some of the quotes in this, some of the sound clips I pulled in this are pretty long, folks. And, and forgive me for that. But uh, I can't help it because that's just the way it was directed. Some of these guys kind of drag them out, and they're, they're good quotes. But it's like that that scene towards the end without giving a spoiler, but when Grafton says maybe what we did is wrong, but there's, there's dying for something and there's dying for nothing. And I know what the difference is. And that's why he did what he did, because if I'm going to die, I'm going to die for something. I'm not just going to be shot out of the sky because of a political consideration. And, and they do, I think they were trying to portray a lot of the frustration that I think maybe a lot of the guys that fought in Vietnam were seeing. It's like, why are, you know, why are we here? I mean, if you want us to fight, let us fight. If you want us to win, let us win. But it just seemed like that movie was a little bit of personification of what a lot of those guys were feeling, whether they were on aircraft carriers or where they were on the ground. And I didn't mean to get on a whole historical political rant here, but I, I think that's what this movie is trying to get across. Well, I did think that the whole, I mean, a basic core of this thing is, you know, it builds and builds and builds, and then finally, you know, the two characters, Johnson and the, the foes characters, decide, you know, they are going to violate the orders. And they also pretty much know that we're going to do this, and we're going to get, if we don't die, we're going to get caught. This isn't something we can hide. Right. 
Uh, we're just going to do it because, like what you said, we're just tired of this, and we're going to make our statement, and uh, we're just going to take our lumps. And lumps would, at that time, consist of, you know, probably 20 to life and Leavenworth. So, right. uh, they, but they go about, and they, they plan it, and you'll watch them go through putting it together and, uh, you know, executing things, and then you see the aftermath. And it's, uh, it's, I thought, especially towards the end, I thought as it, as it wound down, it, it, it sort of got better as it wound down. It, it sure didn't, ex- I, I did I remember when I was at the movies, uh, although I had an idea what was coming, it's still, you, you don't expect it. And I think a, a viewer that hasn't read the book won't really expect what's coming. Maybe they will. Well, it, <laughs> No, you're right. And I kept thinking about that, too. It's like, well, we're going to go bomb the north, and, you know, we'll just ditch. Well, actually, we can't because, let's see, there's China, there's Russia. We're screwed. <laughs> yeah. No, they can't, not gonna get away. They're going to do it. They're just going to come back and say, you know, we did it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We'll take our lumps. Yeah, pretty much. Because there was nowhere. It's not like they were going to do it and, like, desert. They just knew they were going to do it, and they were going to come back and probably go to prison for the rest of their lives for doing it. So. Yeah, but they also know they, they had a significant chance of not coming back, too. Well, and I think they thought that. They figured it was going to be a suicide run. Mark, any other thoughts? You know, the only other thing about, I think what this movie suffers from is the, I guess you could say in some respects, the climax occurs in the middle, and then we have to have another climax. Um which not to give, I don't want to give it away because probably a lot of people have not seen this movie, but in some respects that climax is, I will be generous and call it forced and a bit choppy, especially the Wyatt Earp um, (laughs) edit. Yes. The the Wyatt Earp edit at the end where we magically reappear is really painful really painful you know if he only had a river to charge across that would have been oh shit no kidding (laughs) yeah you're right it is i'm just like oh man i forgot that part (laughs) it's like they wrote themselves into a corner and did not get out of that one yep yep absolutely no i know exactly what you're saying the ending is not the same as the book correct in the book in the book uh, there's people going through similar stuff, but it's not the same people. Right. The book is really well done. Yes. If you've not read the book, you really should. Yeah, and yeah, I've they, never... They chopped, again, by chopping out a few characters, they had to focus the attention on these characters, which meant they had to force a few things. But, mm. you know, I'm not... You're not going to hear me say, oh, and that made it a horrible movie. I was entertained by it still. But you got to admit, the very brief charge up the hill to the sniper was... Oh, God, that's painful. Yeah. It only took two seconds. For a reason. They had to edit that down. But but I get why they had to do it. It's just unfortunate because I wonder if it was different in the what Milius actually had in mind and shot versus what he was, what the studio required him to do. Well, you know, that's a good point. I kind of wonder how much Melius is restricted from the producers because, I mean, I like the guy. I mean, there's most of the movies I've ever seen that this guy's put out, I've really enjoyed. And it just seems like, I don't know if it's studios or whatever, but they, it just seems like they got an ax to grind against him. As a matter of fact, I was telling Ken 
post-show, or post-show, pre-show, Netflix has a documentary about him. Yes. Have you seen it, Mark? Yes, I have. Okay. Is it? It's very well done. Okay. I, it's on my, uh, to watch list and it's, I, I just have to, you know, you know, get my feet set, sit down, start watching it. And I'm curious about that because, you know, the more stuff that I have seen that he has put out, the more I just, I just love this guy. And it just seems like he has gotten a short trip from uh, Hollywood and from a lot of the studios. Although, I mean, he still puts out work. And I think because, you know, a lot of the stuff still gets good acclaim. So, I don't know. I mean, I like well, I said. It, I, it, it plays well in the heartland. But, yeah. you know, he is unabashed about his his political and his societal and his personal views. And they... How shall I say it? They run severely counter to to mainstream Hollywood. Oh yeah, I mean he is he is an unabashed conservative, uh, conservative slash libertarian. So well, and he's a patriot too. He's very yeah. patriotic. Yeah, and that does not that doesn't rub well with the uh, Hollywood elites, if you will. So, I mean, he's one of the few. But again, I mean, there there's some of them out there, and I think Melius has made enough. Uh, Good shows because there's others out there. I mean, Eric, uh, not Eric Harris. Uh, Clint Eastwood is one. Tom Selleck is one. I mean, these guys are are not shy conservatives. I mean, they're out and in your face, but they get work. And um, and there's a few that are out there that can do it. And I think Melius is one. I mean, he's I think he's a little bit more in the sidelines now, but he still puts out good work. And um, and, and folks, I mean, if you haven't figured it out, I mean, we're—I I wouldn't say we're rabid conservatives, but I mean, we're—we we consider ourselves patriots. I mean, we love our country. We like good conservative movies. I mean, for God's sake, I mean, it's called the Man Cave Movie Review. You didn't think it was going to be? I mean, who do you think we voted for? For God's sake, I mean, my God. So it's, <laughs> it should be any you shock. Have no idea who I voted for. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> You know, like I said, if you haven't figured out where our political leanings lie, we don't like to lay it out on the carpet for everybody to see. But, uh, I mean, we do like Melius. We like the kind of stuff that he puts out. Yes. And, and he, um, he, I, if you look at a list of Melius movies, there's a bunch of them there that are favorites of mine. Yeah. And well, again, yeah. TV, TV series is done. Yeah. He's been a writer on a lot of things. He's not, a, not just a director. He's been a writer on a lot of movies that, you know, very well-known movies. And I'll tell you what, and I know I've probably mentioned it before, but, uh, folks, uh, the very first podcast that this show ever started off with, and I, I would really like to do a redo because we actually have better production quality uh, than that one, uh, it was Conan. And if you ever can get, uh, uh, and I think it's probably on the uh, Blu-ray and maybe there's a DVD version that has it out there, but the commentary, there's, a, there's actually a commentary track with uh, John Milius and Arnold Schwarzenegger together and they basically watch the whole movie the movie's silent but you just hear their commentary throughout the whole thing it is absolutely fascinating to listen to these two guys talk because they're i i, I think they're like good buddies i mean they just were like chat like they had never uh uh you know been apart and they you know remember this movie and and i think by the time the end of that movie was over i think they knocked out half a bottle of jack 
because uh, <laughs> no, seriously, there there were parts of that where I mean they were just having a good old time watching that show. So if you ever get a chance, watch that. So there's our John Mulius homage uh, for the show. So uh, I, I just want to move on. I want to talk just real quick, guys. We just mentioned some of the actors, and um, I don't know, Brad Brad Johnson, not Brad Harris, Brad Johnson. He was the he was the main lead in this one. Guys, what else has he ever been in? Because I I was I haven't really looked at his IMDb uh, resume, and I really have never seen this guy in anything else. Or if I have, it was not memorable. So I don't know. Pardon me. He was in Rough Riders, which was another Milius movie. But I think this was his only leading role when I look at his his filmography. And most of the stuff is B grade, C grade stuff nowadays. Okay. All right. Yeah, he's done a fair amount of TV, too. Uh, I think it was anything. Did uh, Comanche Moon, which was a prequel to uh, Lonesome Dove. Yeah. He, was in, he wasn't the main character, but he was in it. Uh, the, there's a River World TV series, which I enjoyed. And if I'm not mistaken, he was the lead in that. But, uh, yeah, like you said, he's been busy, but not as the star. There's a... He, he was this. He did always, which was a big Spielberg sort of aviation romance movie. Came out a few years before this movie, and that was like his breakthrough role. Uh, and I think Hollywood tried to like make him a you know, traditional leading man, but I, I just don't think he has. He has the looks and the you know he has a persona about it, but I don't think he really has the acting chops to pull it off. But you know he's still not bad. Yeah, he hasn't done anything since 2008. Yeah, it's, I mean, some of these guys just kind of disappear. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I, I, he is not a strong leading man in this movie. I mean, it, 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 I'm not saying that that was required for this movie. It's got a more of an ensemble feel to it, but he just, if the, if the studio had hopes for him to be able to shoulder a, the load of some range, he just wasn't the guy for it. Yeah, I think they got him for his rugged good looks at the time. Yes. Um, yeah, and I can't say always did decent. And it was, an, you know, again, it was a aviation romance that, again, Spielberg had put together. It did pretty good. It had Holly Hunter in it, I think. Um, yeah, I got stuck going to see it. It was, it's a, good date it was movie. a date movie. Wow, yeah, but, but that's it. The movie did okay, <laughs> so they thought, well, this guy can pull it off so we can put him in other stuff, and they put him in several other movies that it just didn't carry. Right. I was going to say, real quick, guys, just want to mention uh, favorite scenes. Anything stand out? I'll be go the ahead, first. Mark. I'll, I'll be the first. Actually, I'm just going to yeah, leave go it. go ahead. Here's one thing that I did like. I liked, believe it or not, I like the opening sequence when you come in there and you're kind of like flying over the clouds and you hear like actual commentary from almost like interviews from uh, guys that were like in the war. I don't know why, but I just thought that was really neat. It, it puts you in the place really quick. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It just, it really kind of set the mood and the whole time you're, you're like flying over the clouds you know, it's just like the screen, and you're going over the cloud, and all you hear is this commentary. And I just thought it was a great opening sequence. And I'm not saying that's my favorite scene. I just thought it was 
a really good opening to the movie. It wasn't any of that, you know, blasting the names on the thing. It was just the way it was done. It looked really good. Uh, so I, I got to give Melius a lot of credit for that. That was a great opening scene for him. But um, I, I like, I'll tell you, I like the scenes in the um, squadron ready room. There were a couple of those. And the midnight shitter, you know, the, <laughs> try, trying to figure out who the midnight shitter was. No, it's the phantom shitter. <laughs> Pardon me, the phantom shitter. Because that's the kind of stuff that does happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, guys will be guys. And everything that occurred in the ready room, the whole phantom shitter stuff, that, that's just, that's camaraderie. Um, and that's, God, we're on station. And being on station sucks. And it's boring. So we got to break up the monotony. And those kinds of scenes were, were very well done and very, I, I don't know if I want to say believable, but you, you felt the sense that these guys had been with each other for a while and had a sense of camaraderie. And I like those. There were a number of those scenes, and I enjoyed watching those. And, Mark, just to give the – because I've got a few quotes um, in the uh, in the clips later, but i got to get some background for those the folks that haven't seen the show. They have this person that's on the ship. Nobody knows who it is. They call him the Phantom Shitter because every once in a while somebody wakes up with a, with a turd somewhere. And, uh, <laughs> and they talk about it in the wardroom. You know, it's like this morning the – you know, the exo walks into the, you know, into his office and there's a turd in his ashtray. So we have to know it has to be a bomber pilot because only a bomber pilot could hit the exo's ashtray. So, <laughs> so there's this guy that just every once in a while he'll just go take a dump somewhere and, and they call him the phantom shitter. So, uh, <laughs> and there, there's a quote later that we'll get to that just kind of clarifies that. So I just thought that was funny as hell. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But, Ken, you got any thoughts? I like the scenes revolving around the court-martial and the aftermath of that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you're watching this. If you don't know what's coming, you go, okay, well, this is this is happening. I know it's going to happen now. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, nope, that's not what's going to happen now. It's sort of a surprise. But I like the way it comes off. I I. I like Danny Glover's reaction when he's like being told what's going on. Uh, and I also like the ending. I know Mark thinks it's forced and all, but it, you know, it's that whole, it, it just did it for me. And it's, it's so reminiscent to me of the bridges at Toko Reed. Yeah. The, it's, it's, it's like, I think Milius deliberately, well, the thing is, it's out of the it's out of Koontz's book, so it's not like Milius did it, but it's evocative of the end of the Bridges of Tokori. If you've already seen that movie, and if you haven't seen that movie, go see it. But the but that ending's much better. Uh, the yes. way they set that ending up is much better. Yes, it is. It's, that's a hard that's a hard ending to watch. Yes, this one easily could have gone that way. Yes, realistically, yes. it should have gone that way. Yes, it should have. And I think in some ways, that might have made a better movie. Might have a point. I think what they were trying to get, they wanted to make this a little bit more of a feel-good movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, I think that's what it was. I mean, all the other, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, I think the, the, the Vietnam fatigue, because when you talk about a lot of the movies that we reference back, you know, that you saw during the 70s and the 80s, you know, you walked out of there going, oh, my God. 
you know, they were, it was all supposed to be some type of social commentary. And I think this is the one that basically was, there was a little bit of social commentary in there and, and, and they talked about that. I mean, and they kind of hit it kind of heavy, but they still were showing these guys are professionals. They're doing their job. You know, they're not murderers. They're not killers. Not a bunch of flipping drug addicts. They're out there just trying to do what's right. And I think at that point, nobody cared. They were just like, oh, God, another Vietnam movie. Because you know what, uh, guys, just uh, as a quick sidebar to that, uh, to make my point, you know the other movie that was made uh, not too long ago? Remember the Mel Gibson movie, We Were Soldiers? Yeah. yeah. They panned that movie. one, too. They panned that one. The critic, and that's a very good movie. Yeah. And, and from a great book. Yeah. A great and, book. Yeah. And the critics panned that one, too, because uh, it wasn't a bunch of guys that were, you know, smoking dope, drug-addled, why my hair, this is terrible, it's all right. about, you know, it, it, it was, no, these are soldiers out there to do a job. And the critics didn't like it. Obviously, you know, certain segment of the political spectrum hated the movie, just tore it apart. But, but it did well at the box office. But the Heartland came out for that because at that point yeah. there was that gap. You had, because the, all yeah. of a sudden it was, you know, there was a time, even in the early 90s, you didn't go around saying, I was a Vietnam veteran and I'm proud of it. Now all of a sudden you can be a Vietnam veteran and be proud of it. Well, about time. You guys have, right. should have always been proud of it. And I think you're right. It hit the gap, and I think it might have come out after <laughs> the Gulf War. I know this came it, out it right came after, during the Gulf War. Right. Was and, that it? And okay. We Were Soldiers came out after the Gulf War. So you had that fundamental shift of viewpoint, I think, that, that no matter what um, certain segments of the cultural landscape might have said, they were going to be pretty much ignored. And, you know, Mel Gibson was a bankable star at that time who still right. could command... He could he could do whatever he wanted and get away with it, and like Bruce Willis um, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, people were going to come and see the movie no matter what the critics said. Right, right. And they did a good service to the troops. Oh, and it's got you know it's got Sam Elliott in it. My God, what more do you want? <laughs> Gentlemen, prepare to defend yourselves. <laughs> and that's a movie we do need to put on the list. Steve. We will get it on there. We will definitely get it on there. Okay, guys, uh, let's move on to some trivia. There's a little bit of stuff here I want to bring up before we move on to some of our favorite parts of the show. Ed O'Neill was originally cast in the movie, but test audiences still thought of him as Al Bundy in the sitcom Married with Children, which I can't see that because I, I never watched Married with Children. I mean, I know the show saw it and stuff like that, but uh, I don't know. Well, when this movie came out, it was at its peak. I mean, it was one of the top shows on TV at the time. And again, Al Bundy was just a, a joke. So you, know, you can't really put Al Bundy, you know, somebody identifiable as Al Bundy in a serious, you know, movie. Right. No, you got a good point. You, you know what? You could have put him as Tom Sizemore and would have been fine. Well, <laughs> you no, know, you Tom probably. <laughs> right. Just saying. Yeah, that was the that was a weird role for him, or, or I'm sh I should say, he really played it weird. But yeah, all right. Near the end of the film, the phonetic phrase "Alpha Mike Foxtrot" is spoken over the radio. This is an abbreviation for, and folks, just 
prepare yourselves. There's going to be a bleep here. Adios, mother which is said over the radio by down air crews when they know death or capture is imminent. So, although my abbreviation would be, uh, get me the hell out of here. They're coming to kill me. But I'm a coward, so what do I do? I, I thought yours would have been, Drake, we are leaving. <laughs> yes, that would be my line. <laughs> oh, you know, if I'm not back. You turn the ship around, you come and rescue me. <laughs> what? And risk my shiny new ship? <laughs> Serious, it's cold out there. <laughs> All right, uh, Basil Pol... God damn it, I never can get this guy's name right. Polydorus. Basil Polydorus, thank you, Mark. Had originally been scheduled to score Dances with Wolves, or Tansa with Wolfen. <laughs> Uh, but reluctantly dropped out to score this film to, uh, I'm sorry, but reluctantly dropped out to score this film for his close friend, John Melius. Should say good and dear friend. With extremely damaging results to his career when he found himself suddenly unemployable at any studio making a picture with the then hot Kevin Cosner. Uh, to make it worse, the film's release was delayed by nearly two years, so he could have easily had time to score both films. And the music was not, was very forgettable, I'll just say that. Well, I'll tell you what, that is something about this movie that, you know, when I, when, every time I see Basil... Polydorus. Polydorus. I, I mean, I always think of Conan. And yeah. to be honest with you, the music in this movie was completely forgettable. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I was like, oh, he did this music? Really? Okay. The song that Jake Grafton and Virgil Cole gleefully sing in their A6 Intruder after successfully bombing Hanoi is the 1964 hit Downtown, made popular by British pop singer Petula Clark. During the Vietnam War, going downtown was military slang for bombing Hanoi. Yeah, and, and the listeners got to hear some of Downtown yes. the opening of the movie. Uh, open the podcast, rather. And I'll tell you what, uh, guys, when I, I remember as a kid growing up, I don't know if my mom had that on an A-track or something like that, but for whatever reason, that song resonated in my house quite a bit. So I, I do like that song. Anyway, uh, this film was filmed partly on the USS Independence ZV-62. It went out for two weeks of filming in November of 1989. Uh, let's see. John Milia stated that this film was one of the worst experiences he ever had. <laughs> I, I, I want to watch, did they talk about this in the documentary, Mark? I can't remember. It's been so long since I've seen it. Okay. I can't recall. I really want to find out why, because I'm, I'm kind of shocked when I read that. Well, it's because the, the studio just rode his ass mercilessly and pretty much told him everything he was going to do. So although he was on paper, the director, they were calling the shots and setting up the scenes and telling him okay. what he could do and what he could spend and who he was going to hire. And nobody wants to be a, you know, get to be a, a you know, director of a movie and then find out that they're really not, uh, don't have creative license. Right. Well, and maybe that was it. That that's, if that was the case, then yeah, I could see that. I could see that. All right, uh, last one. All right, Richard Dreyfus and Richard Gere. 
were considered for the role of Virgil Cole until William Defoe was eventually chosen. Now, I could have seen Richard Gere. Yeah. Although, you know, would he have been too young yet? He would have been fine. Now, he did Officer and a Gentleman in the late 70s. So, yeah, he, he could have pulled it off. He yeah. would have been a, like, a, yeah, he'd be the perfect age. Yeah. What, what he, okay, because that was the thing. You needed somebody a little bit older. You need you yeah. couldn't get somebody like Brad Johnson's age. Okay, yeah, no, yeah, because his character was supposed to have been there in the early days of the Vietnam War, like you know, seven eight years before. So he had to have somebody that was like mid thirties, be the right age. Right. Yeah. So I got one for you, gentlemen. All right, bring it. After Top Gun was released in 1986, A6 aircrew would taunt fighter aircrew. Noting that fighter guys make movies, attack guys make history. When Flight of the Intruder was released, the Navy fighter community responded with, fighter guys make movies, attack guys make bad movies. Wow. Yeah. It bit them in the ass. Yeah, this movie didn't do well in the box office. Didn't even recoup what they spent on it. No, it didn't. And that's a shame. That really is a shame. I think this movie's really good. I'll put it this way. I, I'm going on a limb here, gentlemen. If you had to compare this with Top Gun, Top Gun sucks. Top Gun is, I don't know. I, when I look at these two movies together, Top Gun was more about Tom Cruise than it was about, like, flying. Or, I, I don't know. I mean, I just think this is a far better movie. If somebody compared the two, no. Top Gun, no. Not even close. Top Gun, Top Gun had three things going for it. One was, you mentioned, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Two was it had the F-14 Tomcat. Right. So it was a fighter pilot movie. And three, it was the summer date movie. A guy could take his girlfriend to the movie, and yeah. everybody got something out of it. Right. And that, and they made it look sexy. Where this movie... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, and they did. They Well, and they had Tom Cruise over there. Well, of course, you had Kelly McGillis, who was the... You know, the irrelevant female role who was a major part of the movie from start to finish. So, whereas you had in this one here, she was the irrelevant one for an irrelevant point in the movie, and that was it. So, yeah. And you also had Iceman. You had um, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you had the whole volleyball scene when everybody's over there, you know, stripped down to their, you know, skinnies and stuff. So all the girls, yeah. yeah, this is what you bring the girl. That's the only reason that movie was any good. You take all that crap out, no. This movie is far better than Top Gun. Just saying that right now. I'm going on record. I will say of these two movies, from a war movie standpoint, this is a better movie. From a box office standpoint, there is no comparison. Oh, yeah. But it, it is a much better movie than Top Gun. So let it be written. So let it be done. And we're done there. All right. So, <laughs> sorry. Okay there, boss. Just had to throw that in. All right. Uh, Coming down. Yeah, evidently. <laughs> Bitch slap my ass. All right. <laughs> Boom, baby. Uh, I didn't. Re- I thought you were done. Sorry. I jumped. Oh, no, no, no. I am now. I- <laughs> I jumped the gun on that one. No, no, no. I'm done now. (laughs) Shutting up, sir. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Oh, wait. That was last week's podcast. Slover, do you know who I am? You're fourth generation Polish. (laughs) Actually, I think I'm second generation Polish mafia. Oh. Oh. Yeah, and I know what kind of tanks you have. Septic tanks. They're scary. 
Hey, we put wheels on those. We'll we'll bring the shit to you. All right, uh, guys. <laughs> all right, guys. We're gonna move on to brother. What you drinking? So, uh, Mark, uh, kick it off. What do you got? I love English pub ales. They're nice, mild, smooth ales, and I picked one up called John Smith's Extra Smooth Ale. If you've never had a pub ale like a Boddington's or a Smith's or a uh, any one of those, um, I really recommend them. It's just nice fall, good brown, smooth, mid-road. Just you just, it's a good drinking ale, and just always reminds me of when I spent some time in England, how you could just sip on these all night long and and not feel bad the next morning. So John Smith's extra smooth ale, and it is extra smooth. Nice, like it. Well, guys, I have been nursing uh, for a little bit here. It was my birthday yesterday. And, Happy uh, birthday. Thank you. Thank you. And did thank you, you for the gift I sent you. I did get the gift, and I was going to send you an email, but I thought, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to thank you right here online so everybody knows I thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put that to good use. I do appreciate sure. it. And um, so, yeah, I am kicking back here right now with a, a drink that uh, I don't normally have. And I have to uh, give credit to my uh, my daughter's boyfriend. Actually, well, his dad went out and got it for me. But uh, they got me a nice card and a bottle of Johnny Walker Black. Damn. Yeah. I'm uh, kicking back with a little bit of that right now, if you can't tell. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's good. Uh, uh, one ice cube just to, just to let it uh, breathe and that, but uh, no more than that. I'm not normally a scotch drinker folks but i do i mean i will drink it it's good and uh the johnny walker black is uh it's it's nice uh it's um it's not as harsh as most of the uh the scotch i've ever drank my dad was a big glenn Fittich fan and he's like here son have some of this i'm like oh god please don't make me drink this and yeah it it, it burned my throat and then i was like constipated for a week. It just didn't do anything for me. But I do like the Johnny Walker Black. There was another one that I had. I cannot remember the name. is. It was pretty light, pretty mild. Uh, that was pretty good. So, yeah, that's what I'm pretty much knocking back right now. So, Very nice. There you go. All right. So there you go, folks. That's uh, you know what I'm drinking here. And uh, now, without further ado. It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. My just before you start, Ken, just so you notice, I just like nailed it right there. Got these right up. Just yeah, you didn't like. I didn't. I didn't clips or anything yeah, else. It's yeah, pretty damn amazing. I know. Go ahead, Ken. Well, after that great introduction, I don't have much really to say. I, I I've been kind of under the weather lately. I really didn't go out and do anything last weekend. Uh, actually, did a lot of chores and errands and things like that, but uh, didn't go out. Didn't, didn't go out and enjoy anything. Uh, I did have an interesting dinner party I went to uh, on Wednesday night. A friend of mine was hosting a couple of uh, people that were visiting America on a State Department uh, program. These are people the State Department has identified as young leaders in their country. Uh, they were both like late 20s. One was a woman from Sweden. The other was a, a man from the Netherlands. Uh, he was a, for lack of a better word, I know this is not exactly accurate, but basically a sociologist, author of about eight different books. 
she was in international development, uh, had been working in Europe and uh, Latin America, both very smart, very interesting people. But, uh, you know, the State Department takes them around, introduces them, lets them find out about American business, culture, government, law. And uh, part of it was they just wanted them to learn how Americans behave. So my friend, uh, she and her husband were hosting this a couple, and they invited about 10 of their friends over. And her plan was she wanted to have typical American food for these people. Not what you would get at a restaurant and, you know, nothing stereotyped, but some of the stuff that Americans would have, you know, matter of course. So the dinner consisted of, I, I just love this dinner. It was uh, barbecue chicken breast on the grill, stovetop stuffing, macaroni and cheese, cornbread, and for dessert, we went out to the fire pit and made s'mores. Mm. And I will tell you, the s'mores were a hit. Those guys had never seen a s'more. So anyways, that was interesting, and it was nice. We had, you know, that food, we drank a lot of good wine. And I will uh, confess, I, I, I had one question, which turned out to be a hit and really appreciated, but I was kind of worried when I said it, and that was, I turned to the woman that, you know, the, the Swedish woman, and I had to say, like, does everybody in Sweden really shop at Ikea? <laughs> and her answer was, well, well, yes, of course. Everybody goes to Ikea. What, what, what? Don't you? So, anyways, that was my main social thing. Uh, I did go out tonight and had a drink at the Old Point Tavern just because it was such a nice night, but I was just a drink after work and then I came home. So not much really to talk about for Ken. Wow. Cool. I am impressed, Ken. So you got to hang out with uh, very smart and hot Swedish girls making s'mores. The s'mores were a hit. They, they go, what, what is a s'more? Then we also had to explain what a Hoosier was. Uh, like, I'm sure that really who, who threw the hell him knows off. What a Hoosier yeah, really. <laughs> we have a hard time explaining that to our next door neighbors. <laughs> Thank you, Ken, for that uh, illuminating review of your uh, your week. All right, guys, we're going to move on to uh, clips. Clips are our favorite part of the show. Number one. What altitude were you at when McPherson got hit? 300, 500, something like that. I'd just taken a gun out with a snake eye. 300 or 500, it makes a difference. I don't know. I'm a little shaken up right now. You're what? I said I'm shaken up, sir. I got Morg's blood all over me. Maybe we can stop the water. Things get better then. And that's uh, Grafton talking to his uh, commander, who is... Uh, Lever was just a hard ass in this movie. He was. And, and folks, that humming, that kind of deep booming in the background, I actually think they were filming that on the carrier because... I'm guessing that was like the engines or something because, yeah, I could not get that noise out. So, it was that, a great noise. Oh, it was. I loved it. All right, uh, number two. I know Lucy McPherson is lousy. I don't like to talk aside, but I hate them. But I don't want any blood feuds going on. Half the time it is in the mission you're flying that kills just the one before. Do you read me? You know, I put that in there because I thought that was kind of interesting. Because I think when when somebody loses a buddy or something like that, the next time they go out, they're going out for revenge, and they, they just, like, I'm going out, and boom, they get killed. They're not thinking. They're being emotional. 
Right. All right. Uh, number three, I uh, I call this one. This is for our good and dear friend Tony Gallardi. Do you even know who I am? Yes, sir. I do, sir. You're Commander Camparelli, sir, the CEO. What kind of name is Camparelli? It is an Italian American name. Have you ever met a black man with a name like that? <clears throat> no, you haven't. I got that name because somewhere in my past there was a wop in the wood pile. <laughs> Love you, Tony. <laughs> all right uh so we're, we're done making fun of our good dear friend tony and we do love the guy we just lost all of our italian american <laughs> yeah. listeners for all of our italian american listeners trust us we do off never to log back on no. thanks a lot no we do love you all you guys that was for our buddy yeah well you know, if you guys haven't figured this out by now, nah, you're never going to. All right, guys, this is uh, from the uh, uh, the intro that we did. So, enjoy. All right, now listen, Doc. Don't touch anything. Keep your yeah. hands in your lap. Absolutely. The only exception is if you have to eject. Now, you got the yellow and black handle here and one here. You pull it. The command will be eject, eject, eject. Three yeah. times. You got it? Yes, eject, eject, eject. Do I say Roger or just do it or what? You even say, huh, you'll be talking to yourself. Because I'll be gone. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> it's one of the greatest scenes of the movie. Yeah. Because the because we're, what were they thinking about putting that dumbass in that freaking? Well, A6? they were just they were they they were gonna give him a good time, get his time in because he's a flut. He had to have his time. Yeah. Well, they were flying back to the base. Yeah. Yeah. But I love that. <laughs> you can say, huh? You say, huh? I'll be gone. Uh, all right, guys, here we go. There's, that's the kind of patter that, you know, that stuff, those are the kind of things that when Coons wrote the book, that stuff probably actually occurred. Oh, oh, sure. Stuck it in there. Oh, sure. Absolutely. All right, uh, number five. Get a fighter pilot to do it! Are you a fighter pilot? Don't ask a man if he's a fighter pilot. If he is, they'll let you know. If he is, they don't embarrass him. <laughs> Fighter pukes make movies. Yeah. Bomber pilots make history. Yeah. <laughs> Except in this movie. Yeah, well, bad movies. Yeah. Bad movies. <clears throat> All right, uh, guys, you're all over this one here. I called it Crocodile. Now, what's this crap about you attempting to feed emergency semen to some alligators? They were crocodiles, sir. I don't give a damn. Now go on. Well, I attempted to throw the aforementioned puke to the crocodile, sir, when his belt cut on the railing and I failed. An altercation then ensued, sir. 700 bucks damage, 30 men in the brig, and an alligator injured, and you got away. But using escape and evasion techniques, sir, I was able to avoid being captured, and sir, we didn't hurt that crocodile. He was fine when we left. He was okay, Skipper. <laughs> <laughs> And you know that whole dress down was just for theatrics. <laughs> you have been informed. Yeah. <laughs> I can check the box. Yeah. Moving on. But, the, you know, there's some of that wooden acting going on there. Yes, yes. It, it, he could, a better actor could have nuanced that and had more fun with those lines. Right, yeah. All right, uh, next one. As for you, Razor, running with known psychopaths now, Clear my razor. Your third generation mafia, sir. Wrong! You rodent. 
I was built with this ship. I'm a weapon system, and there was a cost overrun. Angry acting. Yes. Mark, I have to actually say, all of our years of reenacting, you actually never did call me a rodent. <laughs> I called you a lot of things. You're right. I, I never called you a rodent. You never called me a rodent. I do appreciate uh, that. Yeah, well, you know. All right. Steve, back in those days when Mark was berating you, you know, I realize now that you were victimized. <laughs> I was. <laughs> yeah, he was victimized, right? By his own stupidity. <laughs> the only dumbass I ever knew who stood in formation eating bread. Do you have enough to share with the rest of the company, Mr. Michaels? Yeah, I had Would like Would you two... like to explain why you're eating? I was hungry, sir. Hungry, I see. I was. It was starving. We hadn't eaten all day. Why don't you go talk to the colonel? Yeah, the best part is walking up to Carnes and Ward Williams and going, Yeah, I'm in trouble, aren't I? <laughs> That's when Carnes said, he goes, you know what? The worst thing you can do is give two board officers something to do. So, right. Yep. All right, uh, guys, I love this uh, this quote here. Hey, man, what are you doing now? You should be in the sack. You got an F strike tomorrow. Uh, I couldn't sleep. I'm walking it off. Watch out. Skipper's on the prowl. Shitter posted a strike. He said he's going to pitch. That doubles his capabilities. It's getting very dangerous. You could hit anywhere. Steam irons. Aftershave bottles. Just think of the targets available. What are you doing around? Don't lose sleep over it, Grandpa. Price of peace is eternal vigilance. <laughs> I just love that scene. Especially the way the lieutenant commander just keeps, like, popping his head over the corner of the thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, let's see. Number nine, this is the uh, this is the court-martial scene. Anyone giving me less than 100% proof will find himself in a place like Adak, Alaska, or Diego Garcia. You will be there awaiting court-martial or resignation process. It will take three to four years to process a resignation. Do I make myself clear? Sir, yes, sir. Oh, yeah, I, I like the court-martial scenes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of quotes in there. They're very drawn out. They're very long, so I don't want to put them in there. Plus, I don't want to do uh, spoilers. So, last and certainly not least. You think this changes anything? You hook up. You disappeared orders again. I grounded you. Hey, I am on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> there you that go. That is actually probably the Probably the best line of the movie. It it probably is. It's probably one of the best lines. And just the way it was acted out and the whole lead up to it and everything, it, you're right, Ken. It probably was. So, all right, there you go, folks. That is it with clips. Clips, our favorite part of the show. All right, so now we're going to move on to the Man Cave movie review checklist of this great and fantastic film. <clears throat> all right, number one. Uh, did anyone jump out of a window? Did anyone get thrown out of a window in the bar fight? No, but uh, several people ejected out of a canopy. Yeah, uh, the canopy blew out. Yep, Ken's got a point. Yeah, there you go. Yep, uh, I'm, I can't disagree with that. Uh, we have never sent this down illegal for like a real good definition because, you know, I've only got so much in the budget. But I will accept Ken's uh, thing that, yeah, we do. Yeah, we had uh, someone going through a window couple of canopy ejections. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well uh, done, Ken. Well done, Ken. Yes, absolutely. Very well done. All right, number two. 
If you want him, come and claim him. I shouldn't even ask, but was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? Again, I like Rosanna Arquette. I think she's easy on the eyes and pretty cute. But, yeah, they could if they chopped out all of her scenes. <laughs> hey, to each her own. <laughs> I, I think they could have chopped out her scenes and devoted it to more, you know, interaction between the guys, and it would have been a better movie. They call her Mrs. Ed. I beg to differ. Oh, my God. I will say this. I, I don't think she's unattractive. They could have left. She's not moderately attractive. I will not. Um, I wouldn't even go that far. But um, the best role she ever had was in Pulp Fiction. I thought she did great in Joe Dirt. Oh, all right. Joe Dirt, she was good, too. But and, and you got her movie worthless. Yeah. The, the 15 minutes of waste. For 10 minutes of wasted time. Yeah, g- given that I'm sure that they had chopped out 25 minutes from this movie, they could have taken her scenes out, put the other scenes in, and it would have been had better continuity and been better. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I've been yeah. told, the, the lead singer of uh, Toto wrote a song about her. Oh, Rosanna? Yeah. About her? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just saying. All right. Enough about Mrs. Ed. Yep. Yeah, she was perceived as a hottie back in the 90s. No, she's not. She's not Sarah Jessica Parker-esque. I mean, come she's on. She's got a horse face. Oh, she, she does, does not. not have a horse face. More no, oats? she she does oh, not. Oh, my God. More oats, Miss Arquette? Oh, uh, all right. Let's move on. All right. Next one. <laughs> was there a Wilhelm scream in the movie? I'm trying to think if Tom Sizemore had one. <laughs> I don't think he did. He should have. He, he should have. Sh- yeah. And, and if I think if he did, it would have sounded just like that, too. <laughs> You're right. No, none of the none of the NBA did a Wilhelm scream. No. Although I wouldn't have been surprised if they did in this movie. It no. would have been cool if they did work it in. And they, they may have. We just missed it. Yeah. Because there was a lot there at the end. Those NBA... They, they had a lot of casualties going on. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't hear one. All right. Uh, let's see. Next one. All right. Could the female role be better played by Tony Katane? We didn't need it. The Tony Katane was... could have pulled it off just as well. Okay. So there was no uh, – so Tawny could not have um, – Tawny could Tawny not – could have pulled it off. She could – well, yeah, she could pull yeah, She could have played that role. Yeah. Look, totally. you know what? If you had strapped her onto the front end of an A7, the NBA never would have shot because they would have just been gobsmacked seeing her rear end draped over the front end of an A7. A6. Or a, A6, pardon me, an A6. A7 was the course there, too. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, I, got, I got a couple more here. Uh, here we go. Was there an AT montage in this movie? Ken? I don't really think so. I don't either. Well, I would just say this. I wouldn't say it's an AT montage. They weren't like making up a uh, like a special like armored like hybrid plane, but there was that one scene when they were doing the whole takeoff to do the linebacker two mission. 
you know, the whole build up and they're loading missiles and doing all that now? Yeah, yeah um, maybe. I, maybe. It's I a know. reach, but I can see where you're going with yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's a weak sauce, so I am not even going to bother with it. I just want to throw it out there just to see if the you know if legal would buy into it, but he he's not, so that's all right. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's see. Last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a B-5 reference in this movie? There were three. You found three? Three. I found one. I found three. Do you want them? No, you, no, by all means, you, no, you've trumped me. I've got, I've got one, you have three. It's all yours. All right. Madison Mason, who played the CAG, played General Miller in Crusade, which is the B-5, the brief B-5 spinoff. Christopher Rich, who played Morg, who was the bombardier at the beginning of the movie who dies and kind of precipitates a lot of this unpacking in the rest of the movie, was an uncredited crew member in the episode Born to the Purple. And Justin Williams, who played Lieutenant Lundeen, one of the many guys in the squadron, played Bill Mitchell in the episode A Sky Full of Stars. Boom, wow. baby. This is right about the right period. That's, I mean, this is right yeah. B5 was going on. So, yeah, I can see... If you're basically a character actor, yeah, you, you could easily slide over. Yep. Good research. There you go. Mark? Yes. Yes. I have nothing else to give you because I was like, wow, I, I thought I was going to, like, knock your socks off. And you, I thought I'd looked at everybody in this freaking movie. Three. Who did you have, Steve? Um, I just had Morg. The guy that played Morg, uh, the, 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 what was his name? Christopher Rich. That's the only guy I had. God, I thought I went through everybody. Son of a bitch must pay. <laughs> Very well done. I could see Muncie's fired. Well, that's all. <laughs> no, because I didn't, I stopped. I didn't go to Stuntman and Dolly, Key Dolly what? Grip. I'd, oh, that's all right. Th- those, guys, th- those guys do not count. I'm um, not getting into that pissing match between no, you and Muncie. No, I'm not. Nah, shoot. Oh, gosh. All right, there you go, folks. That is it with the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist of this great and fantastic film. It's now time to move on to the review of this great film. And I'm not even going to ask because I know it's all pointing at me. Yeah, so, you got to do this one, Steve. Guys, I really love this movie. I know I've expressed that many times throughout the, uh, the course of this show. I did see this when it came out, <coughs> excuse me, at the theater, and I really did enjoy it. I do like the look of the a6 intruder i just think it's a cool looking plane so there i mean there's that draw right there i still really like this movie and i think i like the movie for some of the things i talked about uh during the course of the show was it's not the typical vietnam movie where these guys are you know the angst driven or the the druggies or why are we here what are we doing i mean there's some of that social commentary but overall this is a movie about professional soldiers doing their job, trying to do their duty, trying to do it honorably. And, I mean, I like the actors. Yeah, it's a little wooden by most of them. I I, I don't know what I can say about that. I don't know if it's Melius directing them that way or what. I've seen other Melius movies where everybody else is fine. Maybe it was just the actors. Who knows? But uh, I do like this movie. It's really good. Uh, I did make kind of some jokes during the course of the show that I compared it to Top Gun. 
Top Gun doesn't even hold candle this. I mean, if you want to look at that, yeah, it's great soundtrack, whatever, but seriously, much better movie here. If you've never seen it, go see it. I really enjoy it. As far as a rating, I am going to give it, let's see, I'm going to rate this up in war movies. I'm going to give it a 7.5. You know, Steve, I, I was, I, I've made my point about the actors and some of the kludgy edits and some of the, the irrelevant scenes. But I'm like you. It, it redeems itself with great air, air naval air porn, and an attempt. And I, I like Milius, so I, I grade on a curve with him. Yes. And the book is very good. So I, I, I was, if I had been asked to review this movie, I would have pegged it at a seven and a half as well. Okay. Nice. All right, Ken. Any- I was going, to, you know, even though I liked it, saw it at the movies, and I continue to like it. I was going to give it just a straight seven, but I can't disagree with what you guys are saying. Okay. Uh, I do think that a, a modern viewer may be a little put off by the, you know, it's the, uh, you know, like the, the, the models versus CGI. Again, it's, it's kind of painful to watch that. Uh, and it is a, it's choppy. I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice story, but it, it could have been much better. No, I agree. I mean, it, it's one of those movies that we look at with 20-plus uh, years' uh, eyes, and it doesn't hold up quite as well production value. You're like, oh, my gosh, that looks like a model. Well, they didn't have computers then. So, well, they did. No, but no not, they didn't. Yeah, not for that type of work. So, anyway, but, yeah, it, it's a 7.5. That's my review of it. Is it the greatest war movie ever? No, by all means. But... For this type of movie, if you really want to see, like I said, when I'm comparing it to like a Top Gun or that, this is really a much better movie. Better story, better characters, um, you know, soundtrack, eh. But other than that, go see it. Very well done movie. I'm going to put in the plug. If you watch this and you like it and you want something a little more, I don't know, a little more serious along the same vein, do watch The Bridges at Toko Reef which is a 50s Korean War movie. Very well done. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Great movie. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed the show. That is it for the Man Cave Movie Review, episode 127. Check us out on our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review and also at Stitcher at Man Cave Movie Review. Uh, Leave us a comment and tell us if you liked the show or didn't like it. You can find us on Facebook and look for us on uh, Twitter at Man Cave Movie. Share us with your friends. Let us know what you think. So until next week, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. Got room for a six-pack and a pizza? Slover. Well, this is the end of tonight's Man Cave Movie Review. Say goodbye, asshole. Go- jack de jack de jack Goodbye, asshole. Goodbye, asshole. <laughs> Nice. Very well done. We all played into it. Very well done. <laughs> all right. And uh, saying farewell, adieu and auf Wiedersehen is our other good and dear friend, Ken. Hot dog, Roni. I just can say, I got to repeat, good night, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> all right. On behalf of our other good and dear friend, Jeff Tailhook Muncie, who's still trying to climb out of his crocodile pit. He is probably saying hello, goodbye, and save me. But uh, I'm assuming he'll be here next week if he can get a uh, 
a, a C-47 flight out of uh, Subic Bay. So, all right, folks, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we will be back next week with another great performance and review of a great man cave movie. Until then, ciao. Fantastic film stars Brad Harris, Danny Glover, William Defoe, and Tom Sizemore. I am your host. Steve, you have to stop. Oh, I totally screwed his name up, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where did I come up with Brad? You know, I almost paused. I'm did like, you go to Brad, Harris. Brad Harris or something? <laughs> I'm like, Ed Harris wasn't in this movie. I think I had Ed oh, Harris. And there's the- no Brad Harris. <laughs> Were you watching a porn movie again? You know, I might have. <laughs> Jesus. Uh-huh. Wow. You know what? <laughs> I think we could, uh, we could probably uh, chalk that up to the, uh, the fastest blooper clip ever done on the, uh, the Man Cave movie <laughs> review. <laughs> Jesus. Where did I get Brad Harris from? In three, two, one. Oh.